Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. What happened at Bucks Lake in California in August of 2015? We will never know the exact details, but what we do know is that two men who were best friends went on a camping trip, took quite a lot of acid, and only one made it out alive. Have you ever tried lysergic acid dithylamide before? Maybe you have heard it referred to by its common name, that being LSD or acid. It is a powerful psychedelic. It causes hallucinations. And some claim it can open the mind to different dimensions, see colors never seen before, and provide an in-depth self-reflection. But LSD... It is in all rainbows and feel-good vibes. It has been known to cause or increase anxiety and paranoia, and it causes the recipient a quote-unquote bad trip. And we're going to talk more about this in this week's episode. So come hang out with me while I talk true crime. everyone uh this week's case like all before and all after is shocking Uh, i have talked a bit about this psychedelic on my show before it is one that both terrifies and intrigues me intriguing because of its history um you know it's history involving government testing and you know we all know the history of lsd a little bit so that's quite interesting and it terrifies me because of just how powerful it is. One drop on a tiny piece of blotting paper and see you later. See you later for anywhere between eight to 12 hours or maybe if it's been compromised or, you know, made poorly, then nothing happens. And that's the thing. You don't know what you're going to get. The use of it recreationally is no secret. People take LSD for fun and also for therapeutic reasons. But the fact that it is illegal makes both the potency and the dosage a bit of a mystery. And again, that terrifies me. I can't imagine where it's being made, who's making it, how strong it is, how weak it is. You just, you never know what you're going to get when you're, when you're taking this recreationally and you're buying it on the street. And that's half of what's terrifying to me. The reason I'm talking about it today is because this psychedelic was known to be consumed on a camping trip by two men, and clearly something went horribly wrong. But let's start at the beginning. What happened here? How did how did we get to this point? So Trevor Holminski, he was a bit of a wild child when he was younger growing up in California. He was getting into a bit of trouble with his parents, Frank and Allison Holminski, Things were turbulent, and when Trevor was a freshman in high school, the turbulence, it hit a peak. And one day, there was a physical altercation between him and his parents, and the police were called. Being the good parents they are, they searched for a solution that would help their son, and they found one. Now, this solution, it may seem extreme to some, but it might make total sense to others. In a short film Trevor made, which was released on YouTube in 2013, he talks in depth about this treatments his parents signed him up for. I wasn't totally sure what 5150 
uh, meant, but the day Trevor was arrested, he said he was put into 5150. I'd never heard of this term before. And when I Googled it, I read that 5150 is a code within welfare and institutions. And basically it means that a person can be detained for 72 hours uh, because of a, a mental crisis. Crisis, And it's possible they may harm themselves or others, essentially holding someone having a breakdown in a psychiatric ward to be evaluated and, and monitored. And this is where Trevor found himself. He said he was put in a chair and he was only allowed to get out of the chair to go to the bathroom. And that's all. This chair reclined. I think maybe he even slept in it. Eventually, he was seen by a psychologist where he was then taken to an airplane. It's, this is a crazy story. So he was in this, he was evaluated by this psychologist and then he said um, a couple men came in and they were like, we're taking you somewhere. And he was like, what? Like, show me the documents. And he laughs and he's like, yeah, they did. It was legit. But at the time he was like, no, you need to prove to me that this is legal. And they did. And they take him to this airplane and they flew him from California to Vegas. He didn't know what was really happening. He just knew that he was going to be somewhere that wasn't his home. Uh, when they landed in Vegas, he was driven to southern Utah. And that's where they uh, gave him all new clothes. They blindfolded him and they drove him three hours into the remote wilderness. It sounds absolutely terrifying. It, it was wintertime as well. And there was snow on the ground. It would have been freezing. Uh, when I was listening to him tell this story, I was thinking, okay, what the hell is going on here? Because to me, it was starting to sound a lot like a cult situation. It wasn't, but here's why I thought this. They've already taken him away from his friends, his family, and his home. The last thing that ties him to his identity would be his clothing, the clothing that was on his back that he wore there. And now that was gone. And they had given him new clothes that they had picked for him. And... I know how this is sounding. It's It sounds so cult-like. But this treatment program, it actually seems really, really good for at-risk youth. After the three-hour drive, so they give him these new clothes, they blindfold him, they put him in a car, they drive him for three hours. And now they're in the wilderness. And they give Trevor a 65-pound pack, which is 29 kgs for those of you of a different metric system. So it's heavy. It, this pack is heavy and the ground is covered in snow. It's knee-deep snow. And they make him hike to a camp. At this camp, there's a canvas tent. And this is the start of his 98 days in the wilderness. There's no cell phones, no computers, no television, no parties, none of his friends, nothing. He has nothing out there. He's just living in the great outdoors, practicing self-care and discipline and, and talk therapy. Trevor describes his day-to-day -day life there like this. He says they would wake up, cook breakfast, pack up the camp, and it was very, very important for them to leave the area that they were just camping in to look completely untouched. Everything had to be totally cleaned up. After they pack up, uh, they would hike anywhere between one and 12 miles that day. They would be, eventually, there was snow, so I'm sure they were using snow as drinking water, but when the snow melted, they were having to uh, look for water and then they would have to sanitize it using those little capsules you can drop in. I think they're chlorinated or I don't think they use the iodine ones, but you see those a lot on survivalist shows or people who, who do massive 
uh, tracks in the wilderness. And it basically means you can scoop up any water from any disgusting puddle or hole or wherever you find it. And you can drop these um, sanitizing tablets in and it will just kill everything. And you wait like 30 minutes or something. And then you can drink it. It tastes fucking terrible. It's you, you know, they can still have like chunks of things in it. It doesn't filter the water. It just kills anything that can harm a person like bacteria and stuff. So they would uh, find and sanitize drinking water, water along the way. Well, um, then they would set up camp again. So after setting up camp, everyone needs to journal. They all had journals and part of the treatment was writing in these journals every day, which is a, a therapy technique and there are many positive outcomes from journaling. So I, I can see this. Uh, after they journal, they have to wash their face, brush their teeth, and then they would go to bed. And then in the morning, they wake up and they do it all again. And he said by the time it was bedtime, everybody was just so exhausted. That's all they wanted to do. They just wanted to go to bed. Some nights they were put on solo missions, uh, and this is where an individual would be left alone for the night to camp away from the group, and nobody from the group could make contact with the person doing the solo camp. This was probably to allow for some deep reflection and also just building confidence that you can be alone and survive, or you can be alone with your thoughts and, and work through them. Uh, and feel things and be okay I've never camped alone before but I could guess it's uh I would call it fucking scary <laughs> yeah I've camped with just me and my sister before in like remote areas and that has been scary and I had another person with me and, and I was thankful for that I can think of at least two or three times that we've camped in different remote areas around the world and <laughs> and just being terrified uh yeah we still make a joke we camped in in new zealand and there was like there's all these possums around and they make the most terrifying screaming fighting noises it sounds like zombies uh attacking a kill like these possums just sound absolutely horrifying and my sister and i were out there alone camping at nighttime we could just hear these possums all around us just making these horrific sounds and i had my sleeping bag almost curled up over my face and i was just staring at the tent and i just said this place is so fucking scary <laughs> and then we both laughed and to this day that was like 12 years ago <laughs> we still bring up that quote because it was it was a terrifying time but um that made us laugh so I couldn't imagine doing something like that alone he's really brave to do that uh, there were other aspects of therapy uh, such as once a week a therapist he called Doc Dave would come out to the group and have one-on-one -on -one sessions with them and Trevor said he did not like Doc Dave but that Doc Dave was a really good therapist he said every session he had with Doc Dave well mostly every session he had with him he would usually end up crying so it sounds like Doc Dave was making Trevor face big emotions and teaching him how to work through them and and process them Everything Trevor is learning is so incredibly valuable. And Trevor, he was given the task of starting 100 bow fires, or some of you may know these as friction fires. These are incredibly hard to do. It's very, very hard to do. They take patience. They take concentration. They take technique. Technique 
tons and tons of technique. You got to perfect this. It is so hard. You have a bow and it's got a bit of rope on it and you twist a stick in it and then you like move it you like bow it so I don't know the exact details of how how to make a bow fire I've never done one I have seen them done before I've heard the technique but I I could never do it so so as I was saying you take the dry material and yeah basically you're using friction and you're starting these like heat and and sparks in it you slowly build a fire with it and once completed I could imagine it's very very satisfying because you got to work really hard for that it's also a reminder that from little steps and overcoming failure you can learn and build those failures and those small steps into big successful things that will benefit you and that's got to build confidence that's got to make you feel fulfilled so this is I just I loved hearing about this this treatment it was really interesting most of the people in this wilderness camp they were only given the task of building 14 of these bow fires but for some reason Trevor was assigned uh, to build 100 at first he really showed his discontent for this he didn't want to do this assignment but then he realized it was something he had to do and it was something he could do and all of a sudden he was making up to 25 bow fires a day eventually Trevor he was rewarded for all of his growth uh, he was showing because he was showing immense growth and the way this treatment program does this is by awarding the highest achievers with a knife the knife is a symbol of trust and you could imagine why and only about one in ten students receive this award and Trevor was one of them so this is a this is a really big accomplishment for them to hand him a knife and be like, we trust you enough to have this knife. That's got to feel really good. That probably felt so good. Another way the program rewards the students is by giving them a wilderness name. Uh, they don't give it to all the students, but some of them do receive this wilderness name. So I could imagine this is a, a, an achievement as well. And the name given to Trevor was Blue Crow. He describes the word blue meaning open, friendly, and free. But at the same time, blue can also represent sadness, depression, and loneliness. The bird, the crow, is a symbol of intelligence. With intelligence can sometimes come trickery. So the crow symbolizes intelligence and trickery. And Trevor explains it like this. This is a quote from Trevor. The name symbolizes the duality people saw in me, unquote. After the 98 days, they're returned back to society. And he said the first shower he had was, quote, a beautiful experience, unquote. I bet. Three months out, out in the wilderness, no showers, freezing cold, camping in the snow, <laughs> a hot shower. It, it would have been it would have been the first day of his new life. It would have been like being reborn in a way. He was then given back to his parents and he said he was so happy to see them. They made him run down this trail. They didn't tell him what was happening. They didn't even tell him his parents were there. And they told him, okay, run down this trail. So he starts running and he's like, I, I don't know where I'm going. And he slows down a little bit and then he comes around a corner and he can see his parents and he just ran. He said he just picked up his speed and he ran so fast to them. He absolutely loved seeing them. He hugged them. He gave them a huge hug. He had been through this three months of, over three months of learning and growing. 
And he had a different outlook on life, a better, healthier outlook on on life. And the relationship he had with his parents now was stronger, better, and, and healthier. In the short film Trevor made, there is a scene where him and his parents are sitting on the couch together. And his mother, Allison, says, she, this is a quote from her, I think when you're in that position, you'll do whatever it takes to save your child, unquote so beautiful you you could just feel the love in this in this short film uh, and during this scene trevor he's really close to his mother and he leans his head onto her shoulder and it is such a pure beautiful moment caught on camera that really shows you how far their relationship has come it is clear that allison and trevor's father frank are so proud of their son and they love him so much and what he's gone through they are so proud of what he's gone through the journey he's been on and the changes that he's made to himself to better himself this now brings us up to the summer of 2015 trevor he's now 20 years old in 2015 he had thrived in the disciplined environment that was the wilderness treatment program he did a you know that he did a couple years earlier and this encouraged him to join the military he'd always wanted to become a marine and he was gonna make this happen but just before heading off to the military he wanted to go camping so he was all set to go to the military he was set on becoming a marine he was making this happen but before this, he's like, I just want to go camping with my best friend. I just want to have one last weekend of undisciplined fun. Trevor and his friend, 23-year-old Sheldon Stewart, they plan this trip to Bucks Lake, which is two and a half hours from where Trevor lives. Trevor, he was so excited about this camping trip. He was talking about it nonstop. And this was something he was really, really looking forward to. He was so excited for him and his best friend to go out into the wilderness and have a, a fun camping weekend. August 22nd, Trevor and Sheldon drive to Bucks Lake and they hike into a spot where they set up camp. I can imagine this was so nice. I'm picturing summertime, lush forest, giant trees. You got ferns everywhere, nice and green, a beautiful lake, fresh air, a campfire. You got your tent set up. I just, I love camping and I could just imagine this being a really beautiful uh, place to camp. So they've got all the good stuff that goes with it. They, it, it. I could just picture this being a really beautiful area to camp in. Trevor's mother, she wasn't concerned that her son was on a camping trip. After all, he is more than experienced to handle a bit of recreational camping in the summer on a lake. Being in the summer, meaning the weather conditions are absolutely perfect for being outside and you're on a lake, which means you have tons of fresh water. If you bring a filtration bag, whatever, no shortage of water. You're not going to freeze to death. It's It just seems like such an easy easy camping experience compared to the challenges he faced in in the 98 days he spent in the wilderness she did say though that during that evening she was overcome with a sense of dread like anxiety she was just really feeling anxious about it but she shook it off and she told herself oh you're just being silly why are you thinking like this the next day so August 23rd, a forest fire is reported around Bucks Lake. And because this is California and wildfires have been known to become absolutely devastating, they're so scary, they destroy everything in their in their paths. Uh, the fire department, they were dispatched 
quickly to fight this this fire. Wildfires are serious, serious business. When the firefighters get to the area, they find a young man, nearly unconscious, with multiple stab wounds to his neck. The man is rushed to hospital. The firefighters, they continue fighting this fire. And then they come across a charred and still smoking body that is unrecognizable. It is very clear immediately that whoever this is was not a victim of the forest fire and was purposefully burned. Police have a guess at who it is, but they're not 100% sure. They hope that when the other man found wakes up, maybe he can shed some light on the situation and tell them what's happened here. Not only are the firemen trying to battle this fire, but they're now in a crime scene. They've got a crime scene in front of them. They don't know what the fuck is going on. Firefighters and police, they have no idea if there's a madman running around in the woods with a knife still. Is there a murderer out there around them? They have no idea what's going on. Uh, The man they brought into hospital, he finally wakes up and his injuries, they're bad, but they're not life-threatening. He had 10 stab wounds to his neck. One of these was deep. The pattern in which he was stabbed It looked very odd to investigators because the 10 stab wounds seemed to be in a row. Uh, The man also had slice marks on his wrist, but they weren't deep. They were what they would call superficial. So this man in the hospital, this was 23-year-old Sheldon Stewart. Perhaps Sheldon had his ID on him because police knew who he was when they brought him to the hospital and they knew he was out camping with his friend Trevor. I'm not sure how police got all this information. Maybe Sheldon's parents were called and they told police this or maybe he mumbled a few words when he was found by the firefighters. I'm not really sure but police they did know that he had been camping with Trevor. When Sheldon fully wakes up in the hospital police ask him where's Trevor? And he tells them that Trevor attacked and stabbed him and then ran into the woods. Police are now wondering if Trevor is still out in in the woods. So initially, police assumed the charred body was Trevor's. But with Sheldon saying this, they now have more questions. Questions like, did Trevor kill a camper nearby and burn their body? Is, Is Trevor suffering from some kind of psychotic break? Is does he still have a, the knife? Is he still out there? Is he still a threat? Uh, who burned the body that they're looking at? And why did Trevor attack his best friend and run away? There was just so many questions. Police say Sheldon was appearing to be soft-spoken, uh, a kind person, and they had no reason to suspect him of lying. He had no criminal record. He had no, he was, he, it, by all means, he was a a young man who had a job and contributed to society and wasn't violent and had no previous offenses. So they had no reason to suspect anything that he was saying wasn't the truth. They asked Sheldon, why did Trevor attack you? Sheldon tells police him and Trevor, they had taken acid about 20 doses. 20 doses, yes. And at first things were okay. They were tripping on this acid. They were smoking some weed. They had a campfire going, but then things took a turn for the worse. Sheldon claims Trevor 
started hitting on him. By hitting on him, I mean in a sexual way, like coming on to him. This is where it gets hard to determine what was the truth, what was the LSD, and what is fact, okay? Uh, Trevor, he had never shown any interest in men before. Trevor had a girlfriend he loved, and Sheldon admits he and Trevor never had any kind of intimate relationship before at all. Uh, They have only ever been best friends. So Sheldon, he goes on to say that Trevor was hitting on him, but when confronted, like, he he wouldn't admit it. It sounds like Sheldon may have been getting paranoid about something and was asking Trevor if he was hitting on him, and, and Trevor said, no, I'm not. That's what it's, the that's what I got from, from this when I read over this. Um, this makes me wonder if Sheldon was just tripping on acid so hard that his reality wasn't in line with what was actually happening and he perceived maybe Trevor was doing something that he wasn't like maybe Trevor was doing something innocent such as uh, handing him something or getting him something or asking him if he's feeling okay uh as if and he maybe Sheldon was perceiving that as Trevor hitting on him or something LSD is known to alter people's reality uh, in really intense ways to the point they may actually believe something is happening that isn't happening. According to True Crime Daily, Sheldon claims that uh, Trevor said to him, quote, well, dude, we have a fire. All you have to do is sleep with me and we can go on with the rest of our lives. And I was like, I can't do that, Trevor, unquote. Was this actually said? We we have no idea. We have no idea if that's true or not. And maybe, maybe if this is true, maybe Sheldon was just so high on acid and maybe he was having a bad trip and maybe Trevor was like, well, dude, we have a fire. All you need to do is go to sleep with me. Like not like in a sexual way, but all we have to do is like sleep by this fire will wake up, the acid will be worn off, and we can get on with the rest of our lives. Maybe it would had no sexual connotations at all. Maybe he, Trevor was trying to reassure Sheldon, yeah, this acid is pretty heavy, but look, we've got a fire, we'll be warm. Just sleep with me, like sleep beside him. Not in a sexual way, like I'll be here all night, we'll be fine, we'll be safe together. So maybe, maybe it was said, but maybe Sheldon took it in a way um, that it wasn't meant at all because he was really high on acid. But then Sheldon tells police that Trevor tried to rape him. And this is when Trevor attacked him with a dull knife and stabbed him 10 times in the neck when he was trying to go to sleep. So he said he was on the ground sleeping and he could see Trevor come up behind him and start stabbing him he says he was defending himself and he started fighting Trevor and then that's when Trevor realized the knife was dull and he threw the knife and then pulled out another knife a sharper knife this had both men fighting for that knife and Sheldon claims he did stab Trevor twice in the arm during the struggle then Trevor ran away into the woods Sheldon tells police he laid by the fire thinking he was going to die from the injuries and kept blacking out and waking up until firefighters found him. At that point, Sheldon claims he has no idea 
where Trevor went and that Trevor was probably still in the woods or around the campsite somewhere. But Trevor was not in the woods running around with a knife. Trevor, he was the burnt, unidentified man found in the woods. And this was proven during an autopsy. Discovered in the autopsy was that Trevor had sustained two fatal knife wounds, one to his chest and one to his back. So I didn't hear them talk about anything about stab wounds to the arms. If Sheldon's story is true, then how did Trevor's body get burned so badly and for so long? Investigators said somebody would have had to been stoking the fire and keeping it going in order for the body to burn be burned that severely it was almost like a cremation by the sounds of it which takes a very uh, long time in a fire at a very high heat and investigators they go back to Sheldon and this time they're very suspicious the wounds on Sheldon seem to be self-inflicted and superficial so obviously this made investigators and police be like what uh happened here so these are uh they were the type of wounds you would see if someone was trying to stage an attack on themselves possibly for a self-defense defense like in court a self-defense defense in court and sheldon he admits to cutting his own wrists and says he was scared he was going to die because of the stab wounds on his neck, he was bleeding out and he says he was trying to end his own life faster. But investigators, they are not satisfied with this answer and they believe he's lying because all of the evidence is appearing that Trevor never even had the knife, let alone attacked Sheldon first. They believe that Sheldon attacked Trevor with the knife, but Sheldon denies this when confronted. He also denies burning Trevor's body. Police believe Sheldon may have been considering the idea of killing himself, but kept backing out or, or didn't go through with it. Uh, they think perhaps Sheldon, he was thinking of ways out of what he had done, trying to not have to face what he had done. And one of those ways was to end his own life, but he didn't do it. The wrist cuts, they were not life-threatening. Again, they were superficial. The other idea uh, was that he was to stage this attack to make it look like self-defense, which is what police think is exactly what he's doing right now. They asked Sheldon, well, maybe you attacked Trevor because he was allegedly hitting on you, and this sent you into a homophobic rage, but he absolutely denies that as well. So I had a theory going into this, which after hearing that, I was like, oh, maybe he wasn't going for that. So um, this is where that theory goes out the window because I thought perhaps Sheldon was going to use the gay panic defense. For those who of you who are unfamiliar with this absolutely fucking absurd defense, it's when a person can claim they were so terrified and felt threatened that someone of the same same sex hit on them. Uh, that it sends them into a temporarily insane state and they can't be held accountable for their actions, even if those actions are murder. Yes. Yeah, this is a real fucking defense. That has held up in the court of law before and thankfully it is slowly losing merit. It is very fucked up. It's a fucked up defense and I can't believe it was ever a thing. Even if his friend was hitting on him, it's 
<laughs> it's never an excuse to murder somebody. By police asking Sheldon if that's why he killed Trevor, I think they were also seeing if he was going to try to claim this defense, but he did not. So whether or not he knew about this gay panic defense previously, I have no idea if maybe he was going to claim it and then changed his mind again. I don't know. It's really starting to look like there is a lot of Sheldon's story that isn't true by this time though. So we, we do know that's happening. Much of this is, it's seeming really staged. Police go back and they assess the scene and with them, they bring metal detectors and they discover that the knife used to stab Trevor, Trevor's wallet and cell phone are all buried together near where his body was burned. If Sheldon had laid in the campsite, bleeding out and fearing for his life until firefighters found him, then how is it that Trevor's stuff was buried and his body was attempted to be cremated? Who did that then? Sheldon now tells a different story. The story on the table now is that Trevor had asked Sheldon to kill him and put him out of his misery after the attack had occurred. So he's still saying that, uh, Trevor tried to rape him um, and then attacked him with a knife and then they fought back and he attacked uh, Trevor and then uh, Trevor basically begged him for a mercy killing. Uh, Sheldon said he killed Trevor by closing his eyes and swinging the knife and stopped only when Trevor stopped moving. The evidence though it doesn't support this theory. Police ask Sheldon, then why did you burn the body and bury the evidence? And he basically says, I don't know. He said he just sat there contemplating the situation and he just started the fire. Investigators do not believe this was self-defense. They do not believe Trevor attacked Sheldon. They believe Sheldon initiated the attack. Uh, but the real reason never comes out. We never hear the real reason. If I had to guess, I'd say Sheldon had a really bad time on that acid. His reality became something it wasn't. He thought things were happening that weren't. And unfortunately, Trevor became a target for a violent outburst, which ended his life. Sheldon, he had no history of violence, no criminal record, nothing that could ever lead anyone to believe that he would do something like this. But he did. The only thing I can think of is that multiple hits of acid sent him into the deep end and for whatever reason he felt threatened even though there was no threat I don't think his reality was the real reality in that time there were other people camping in that area that night as well and some of them did say they heard yelling and screaming but they didn't hear what exactly was being shouted so they they weren't close enough to be able to make out words that were being yelled but they could hear screaming in court i thought for sure sheldon was going to um, use the temporary insanity plea or something but he didn't his lawyer did make it clear that lsd was involved and claimed it was self-defense but it didn't hold up. So this trial began in 2017. Trevor's family and friends, they attended the trial wearing purple, which is uh, Trevor's favorite color. And they did this as a sign of support. 
During the trial, the evidence, it was very clear that Trevor did not attack Sheldon. And it was, in fact, Sheldon that attacked Trevor with the knife and buried the evidence and then set fire to Trevor's body. Sheldon was found guilty and sentenced to 26 years to life in prison. And we still do not know the exact details of of what happened in those woods. And it makes me wonder if Sheldon even knows what happened out there that day. Because one hit of acid has the potential to create a false reality. So I couldn't imagine what 20 hits would do. You know what? I think the 20 was split between them, meaning at minimum, Sheldon probably had about 10 hits of acid, which is still way too fucking many. I have heard people say that when they had taken acid, like maybe one or two doses, they've had paranoid thoughts. Like people were trying to boil them alive or everyone was conspiring against them. When in fact, none of that was happening. And later they even say, yeah, no, none of that was happening. But I truly thought it was at the time. And Sheldon would have been on 10 hits of acid. So I don't think his reality was accurate at all maybe this is what happened to Sheldon that night in the woods maybe the acid was too much and he lost his mind um he thought he was in danger and he murdered his best friend because of this there was zero motive in place for Sheldon to kill Trevor none nil none whatsoever the two met while attending the same college called expressions which i believe is a art type of college the two they had not been fighting recently over anything or ever there was nothing to say they were anything but best friends so what what's the motive allison and frank they lost their son who they loved so so much they were so proud of him They were so proud of who he had become and who he was becoming. It's just so sad that Trevor lost his life. He never got to join the Marines, never got to see how far his creative career could go. He never got to marry his girlfriend. He never got to start a family or buy a home. None of that. And for why? Nobody knows the reason. I don't even think Sheldon does by the sounds of it. Allison and Frank, they keep Trevor's memory alive by wearing his favorite color, purple, from time to time. And they also take his ashes with them wherever they go. And they spread little bits of him in beautiful places around the world, like Australia and Germany. In the Crime Watch Daily interview, Frank, he expresses his regret towards the fact he never hugged Trevor before leaving to go on on that camping trip. He said it was something he will regret for the rest of his life. Watching him talk about this will it will break your heart. You can hear it in his voice. He means it. And this is something that is haunting him. It is so sad. My heart goes out to Trevor's family. I, I, you know, but I'm sure Trevor knew how much both of his parents loved him. They put so much effort into bringing him upright, guiding him through the rough patches and loving him. I could tell he recognized this when watching Trevor talk in his Blue Crow short film, which I have linked his short film in my show notes, if you want to listen to Trevor talk about his 98 days in the wilderness. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful short film. Uh, 98 days in the wilderness, it's no easy thing to do, especially in the Utah winter, but, uh, That is for sure a powerful therapy, for sure. 
I got really stuck into the Alone series. It, so this reminded me of the Alone series. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's where they drop people off in the Canadian wilderness for about the same amount of time. And they drop them off in the spring. Uh, and by December, they're all still out there surviving on the land. And it looks grueling, absolutely grueling. It takes a special kind of person to not only survive, but to thrive in that environment. That wraps up this week's episode. Uh, please check out the Hell No True Crime Podcast Instagram for updates when episodes are released. Give that a follow. Also feel free to rate, follow, share, and review episodes on whatever platform you're listening on. It's completely free for you to do and it really supports the podcast. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening and see you next week.